0: It's true. You're listening to WCBN FM Ann Arbor. 88.3 megahertz. It is just past 6.30. Welcome to Pandora's Lunchbox, which will bleed directly into Face the Music at 7 o'clock. This is Our Wolf, Our Wolf, filling in for Mike Perini. When you take Pandora's Lunchbox and Face the Music and put them together, you get something we like to call... Pandora's Face. I think after this delightful mixtape that these people have been airing... Isn't this neat? God, it's wonderful. Um, I think the the correct way to begin my part of the evening and yours, if you'll stick around, is uh, an excerpt from Captain Beefheart and the Magic Band. This is the uh, title track from... The last album they put out as a unit, Ice Cream for Crow.
1: It's so hot, looks like you have three beats, clothes. The moon's so full, Wow, well, I have all a pumpkin. You know there's something moon was a stone throne Stop the show I need to say hello to the clone Like the fire piano The moon showed up and it started the show Tonight Whoa Ice cream fire The treatment beneath the symbol. Ice cream for show. Oh, ice cream for clone. Now, now, now. That's it. Now you can go.
0: Rejected by MTV in 1982, Ice Cream for Crow by Captain Beefheart and the Magic Band. This is good ice cream weather, by the way. It does not melt so quickly. You can walk down the street and work on it, you know. This is our wool filling in for Mike Perini. We'd like to bring in the Academia Byzantium with some elements of Johann Sebastian Bach's musical offering. And we'd like to talk to you about brains. I'm reading from a book called Soul Made Flesh, The Discovery of the Brain and How It Changed the World. Pandora's Lunchbox is a show, at least ostensibly, about food. I also regard it as a food about uh, a food, a show about the human condition. I'm a little tired. I've been running around in circles today, so bear with me. From the very beginning of the book, the introductory chapter, the introduction is called A Bowl of Curds. That's C U R D S. The book written by Carl Zimmer. Simmer says, to imagine a time and place, say the city of Oxford on a summer day in 1662, you have to engage not only the mind's eye and ear, but also the mind's nose. The warm odor of malt and corn flour rises from the boats landing at the wharves along the the Thames. The stink of cured fish hanging in fishmongers' stalls mixes with the soft smell of bread in the bakeries. The smell of manure is everywhere. In the open sewers, on the town common where cows graze, in the streets where horses haul wagons and coaches. Sometimes a coach rolls through the narrow gate of one of Oxford's colleges to be swallowed up behind a high, windowless stone wall. The chimneys of the college kitchens relay smoke signals to the surrounding neighborhoods carrying the smell of roasting capon and mutton or perhaps a goose stolen from a nearby village by students. On a summer day, the perfume of the surrounding fens and meadows drifts into the city and mixes with the exotic scents of the Physic Garden with a K. On the high street, a home to exotic species such as leopard's bane, mimosa trees, Virginian spiderwort, and scorpion grass. Botanists gather their leaves and seeds and roots and carry them to an apothecary shop to be ground down, cooked, distilled, and mixed with sharp-odored hartshorn horn or spirits of wine. Every building in Oxford has an internal signature of smells. The incense burning in the churches once again, now that the puritans have been routed and the monarchy restored, the roasted beans in the new coffee house on high street, the foul reek of the prisons where thieves, quakers and various enemies of king charles the second languished together. But the strangest smells in all of oxford can be found off the main thoroughfares on merton street. Across the street from the gates of merton college is a medieval two-story house known as Beam Hall. Its odors are almost unbearable, a reeking blend of turpentine and the warm decaying flesh of dissected dogs and sheep, along with an aroma that none but a handful of people in Oxford, in the world even, would recognize as that of a nobleman's decapitated and freshly cracked open head. The room where his body is being dissected is something between a laboratory and a butcher's shop. Knives, saws, and gimlets hang on the walls, along with pliers and razors, brass and silver probes, pincers, bugles for inflating membranous sacs, curved needles, augers, mallets, wimbles, and bodkins. Syringes and empty quills sit on a table along with bottles of tincture of saffron and a simple microscope illuminated by an oil lamp and a globe of brine. Hearts rest at the bottoms of jars pickled. On a long table lies the corpse surrounded by a crowd of natural philosophers. Depending on the day, the audience may include a mathematician who's laying the groundwork for calculus or a chemist who's in the process of turning alchemy into a modern science. Astronomers, doctors and ministers come to watch. They all stare intensely because they know they are part of an unprecedented experience. They are anatomizing the soul. An inner circle of men stands closest to the body. Christopher Wren, 30 years old and not yet England's great architect, studies the exposed phalanges and curves of the skull. He can sketch bowels and hearts as beautifully as he will later sketch a cathedral dome. Richard Lower, who in a few years will perform the first successful blood transfusion in history, severs the nobleman's carotid arteries and slices the grisly cartilage between his cervical vertebrae the finest dissector in all of Europe. He serves as assistant to another man in the inner circle, the owner of Beam Hall, the man who has assembled this herd of natural philosophers within its walls, a short, stammering physician with red hair that one neighbor describes in his diary as being like a dark red pig. His name is Thomas Willis. Willis has brought these men together this day in 1662 in order to come to a new understanding of the brain and nerves. He and Lower strip the skin and then cut away the inner mask of muscle. They saw off the bones of the skull, prying away each one with a penknife or a pair of scissors. They snip the nerves that tether the brain to the eye and nose. All that is left is the brain encased in its membranes. Next, Willis and Lower turn the brain upside down and gently peel away the membranes so as not to damage the delicate nerves and blood vessels at its base. Furrowed and lobed, the brain is liberated, and Willis holds it aloft for his audience to see. is kind of fun, isn't it? Uh, the show is Pandora's Lunchbox. We're talking about brains. Um, actually, the, the uh, show Pandora's Lunchbox is about food. Now, I haven't really eaten meat of, of any sort for about, uh, what's it been, about 37 years now. doesn't look like food to me, so I just don't eat it. Everybody ought to eat what looks like food to them, and there should be plenty enough to go around, right? But we're a little puzzled because there are people who, um, who think that brains are food. And they're welcome to do that. Uh, Just going to the cheese ball Wikipedia entry for brain as food. Uh, Like most other internal organs, or offal, O-F-F-A-L, although I'm sure you think all of this is awful, but uh, like most other internal organs, or offal, the brain can serve as nourishment. This includes the brains of pigs, cattle, monkeys, and in rare circumstances, humans in many cultures different types of brain are considered a delicacy first cultural consumption in the southern united states canned pork brain in gravy can be purchased for consumption as food this form of brain is often fried with scrambled eggs to produce the famous eggs and brains they are part of the menu in many family owned restaurants throughout the region we're talking the, the southern united states The brains of animals also feature in uh, French cuisine, such as in the dish tête de veau, or head of calf. Although it sometimes consists only of the outer meat of the skull and jaw, the full meal includes the brain, the tongue, and glands. Similar delicacies from around the world include Mexican tacos de sesos, made with cattle brain, as well as squirrel brain in the U.S. South, back in the U.S. South, uh, old, uh, it sounds like people. Uh, some people in the U.S. South will eat anything that looks like a brain, right? The Anyang tribe of Cameroon practiced a tradition in which a new tribal chief would consume the brain of a hunted gorilla, gorilla while another senior member of the tribe would eat the heart. Indonesian cuisine specialty in Minang, Minangkabau I'm sorry cuisine also serve beef brain in a gravy coconut milk named gulai otak, or beef brain curry. At least it's got curry in it, right? Roasted or fried goat brain is eaten in the south of India and in some parts of northern India. In Cuban cuisine, brain fritters made by coating pieces of brain with breadcrumbs and then frying them are uh, passed around. In India, certain restaurants serve brain as Uh, Beja fry, I guess literally brain fry. It's cooked in its own fat along with standard base used in curry. Now, the risks of eating brain. Uh, Let's see. Risks of eating brain. Risks of eating brain. Fat and cholesterol, of course. Consuming the brain and other nerve tissue of animals is not without risks. Do you hear me? The first problem is that the makeup of the brain is 60% fat due to large quantities of myelin, which is itself 70% fat, insulating the axons of neurons. As an example, a 140-gram can of pork brains and milk gravy a single serving contains 3,500 milligrams of cholesterol, 1,170% of the US RDA rating. Uh, so it's just really fatty. Uh, so that's uh, one risk. The other risk, of course, is prions. I call them prions, some might say prions. Uh, brain consumption can result in contracting fatal transmissible spongiform cepha such as variant creutzfeldt jakob disease and other prion disease in humans and mad cow disease in cattle. Get it? Another prion disease called Kuru has been traced to a funerary ritual among the Fore people of Papua New Guinea in which those close to the dead would eat the brain of the deceased to create a sense of immortality. Um, I did learn once by being a projectionist at U of M, lovely uh, way to earn a living, Um right before Thanksgiving, there was this one biology professor, I always like to make everybody watch a documentary on mad cow disease. I, I like that. I always love showing that for people right before Thanksgiving in a big auditorium. Um, and specifically, it was interesting that the women and children often ended up uh, contracting mad cow disease in, in uh, these uh, people in New Guinea who were eating the brains of dead relatives because the, uh, the viscera and the muscles would be eaten by the men, and then the uh, lesser viscera in the brains would be eaten by women and children. That's kind of cruel, really. Um, let's see, what else? Some archaeological evidence suggests that the mourning rituals of European Neanderthals also involved the consumption of the brain. I'm really sad, so I'm going to eat the brain of the dead person, and then I'll feel better. Because of the risk of being infected by prions, one should always wear gloves when handling brains. Uh, I actually have that printed up and posted near the uh, entrance to uh, where I live. Wear gloves when handling brains. Um, Wild animals. It is also well known in the hunting community that the brain of wild animals should not be consumed due to the risk of chronic wasting disease. Which is confusing to me because it's like waste not, want not. We're not going to waste those brains, we're going to eat them. No. Even if you eat them and you think you're not wasting, you may contract chronic wasting disease very confused by all of this this is Pandora's Lunchbox a show about food and grossness just to cheer you up we're going to bring the Bonzo dog band in here with a really stupid song called um, I'm going to bring a watermelon to my girl tonight hopefully you'll find this uh, well maybe you'll be relieved after all this talk about brains I certainly would
1: girl an apple she let me hold her hand i brought my girl an orange kissed beneath the band i brought my girl bananas she let me squeeze her tight i'm going to bring a watermelon to my girl tonight. Hung them in her hair. I brought my girl sequins. She stuck them here and there. I brought my girl blue china. She hung it from the shelf. Tonight I'm going to bring a rope and she can hang herself.
0: a subtle charm all its own, doesn't it? King Oliver and his orchestra made that record in 1931. It's among the last records he ever made. Uh, The Sugar Blues, preceded by I'm Going to Bring a Watermelon to My Girl Tonight, sung by the Bonzo Dog Band. And if you like the Bonzo Dog Band, you should probably know there's a multiple CD set called the Bonzo Dog Cornology, I believe put out by EMI Records. This is from the third volume in the set called Dog Ends. Before we hear from Shake and Jake Woods, a couple of announcements. Um, Let's see. Witness and enjoy the richness of the Hawaiian hula tradition that few visitors to Hawaii are privileged to see. This presentation includes performances with rarely seen or heard instruments such as the Yuli Yuli, the Ili Ili, the Ipu Heke, and the most sacred instrument, the Pahu Drum. Dr. Amy Kuule Aloha Stillman is Associate professor of, Professor of American Culture and Music at the University of Michigan. And I do hope I'm pronouncing her name correctly. Uh, or any of these other lovely... Uh, Um, Hawaiian words and names. Born and raised in Hawaii, she is a dedicated scholar of Hawaiian music and culture and the author of Sacred Hula 1998, as well as numerous articles in international academic journals. Dr. Stillman is also director of Great Lakes Hula Academy based in Ann Arbor. So this is the U of M Stearns Collection of Musical Instruments, Sunday, October 26th from 2 to 3.30 p.m. Um... Ann Arbor District Library, Main Branch. So I guess I might have been confusing you there. I'm just reading what's printed here. The event is happening this Sunday, October 26th, from 2 to 3.30 p.m. at the Ann Arbor District Library, Main Branch. It's free and open to the public. Hula Soundings, a lecture and performance by Amy Kuule Ahola Stillman. And uh, uh, one other news item, the National Bush Legacy Tour is at the corner of South State and South University tomorrow from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. That's only for three hours because it's on the move. Friday, October 24th, it will be parked at South State and South University. This 45-foot, 28-ton museum on wheels features several exhibits on how disastrous the Bush quote-unquote, conservative policies have harmed our national security, ruined the economy, threatened our social security, and sacrificed key domestic priorities. So this is the National Bush Legacy Tour uh, vehicle. It will be parked at the corner of South State and South University streets tomorrow from 11 in the morning to 2 in the afternoon. And more on this at http. Colon slash slash tour dot com. Here's Shake and Jake Woods. Get ready for face the music. This is a song about food. It's called Fat Bacon.
1: Fat Bacon. Float on down the ski. As we put the meat in the skillet. To bake froggin' on down the line. All the hucklebogas baby, frog the As it float on down the lane. Call it bad Bacon, Bat Bacon Song. When everybody's minds the song of tomorrow. Bad Bacon Song, they cry. Let my heart be on. That's why they call it the bread Bacon Song. They after you to put the bacon in the stove, in the skillet. The flea got separate so the crow he wanted to eat it all up so the flea said no we all eat so all the justice they they put this meat in the skillet the the crowd quiet and the meat went down the drain so just as the possum went to eat it they elephant said get back don't be so selfish flea <laughs> let's all eat and roll away hug a baby all day Down the line from Broadway, moving on down the line, baby from Broadway. Broadway kid, here I come. Christ, days, as spies have been gay, as we was walking down the lane, and your heart was contented as it free as the breeze on the with my baby by your side. When you kiss your baby You will have no worry And leave it on my doorstep Why we cry tomorrow we gonna sing in the rain With my baby by your side She don't cry no more Every we throw away the sand The thing you say and the loveliest guy will oh, well, I will I spend for you? Now you going to hold it So just as two love buddies was together They'd hold one another's hand And just as one guy got jealous To the other guy So he went to get up and the other guy said Don't get up Cause said, the woman's already staying with me So there's nothing you can do but move on <laughs> Down lover's lane Two lovers by their side
0: Thank you, Jake. That's Jake and.